0: you Check. All right. <laughs> that good? So, um, true story. Paul, uh, Drew, and I were in Bible college taking an Old Testament survey class because you had to. It was part of the liberal arts curriculum. I was cheating my way through the class. Literally, I was giving signed professional autographs to the cute girl in the front row to do my homework. And, through, and I'm, not a, I'm not proud of it, but it's a true story. It's actually helpful today. In that moment, Drew saw my, my behavior, invited me to his small group, and actually washed my feet and shared the gospel with me. That's how that story started. So there, there was the mercy of the Lord. Um, So that's what I wanted to talk about this morning. So Paul set that up really well because he talked about Drew. Um, And I love seeing his kids, so it's just an honor to be here. I really cherish the ranch. I look at the ranch as this place with deep currency in heaven. It's a kingdom of love, and um, I think the ranch models that beautifully. So it's an honor to be here. Um, Today I want to talk about... Not only mercy, but that the Lord desires it, which is a very different perspective than I grew up with. Um, So how I think about it is we're here today, right? We have where we're at with the Lord, but then there's tomorrow, and we don't really know what tomorrow looks like, but we know that the scripture says when we see him, we'll be like him. And so the journey that it takes to get to that is pretty uncertain. We don't really understand it. Um, And what's miraculous is that the Lord's the one doing it. It's like what I look like today is very different than what I'm going to look like in eternity. And even when I get to eternity, I will never stop learning about the grace and the goodness of the Lord. And what's intense is that as we start to see the Lord and who he is and then who we are in him, this really intense dynamic takes place. In that, I think of it like a microscope. When I put a Petri dish under a microscope, it's not that there's more germs on the, micro- on the Petri dish than there was before I put it there. It's that I actually see them more clearly because it's exposed to this deep sense of magnification and light. And that's what happens with us in the Lord, is that when I get exposed to the Lord's goodness, this great divide becomes exposed to my heart. And I become more aware of my sin, not because the sin is, is more prevalent today than it was before. It's that I'm exposed to the Lord's light. He wraps himself in light like a garment. And if we, as we approach the Lord's light, our sin nature becomes more aware to us. But the Lord's like, that's good, because then you start gravitating more to the Lord, and you're like, I want to be more like you And to do that, I need to learn certain things about your nature. And that's what Jesus tells us in Matthew 9. Here he calls Matthew, who's a fellow Jew, but has essentially betrayed his kinship. He's betrayed his countrymen and has become a Roman tax collector. And the Lord finds him in this moment, and he says, go and learn this. And it's one of three times the Lord actually says, go and learn this. It's Matthew 9, it's Matthew 11, and it's Matthew 24. So you can be assured that when Jesus actually talks about learning something, we need to put effort into it. It's so adverse to our flesh. It's so adversarial to who our nature is that we have to take time to focus on it. We have to take time to let it process through our hearts and through our minds. And one of those subjects is mercy, The other is humility, Matthew 11, go and learn that I'm meek and lowly. And then it's the end times, Matthew 24. It says, go and learn from the fig tree. And so those three things we have to recognize that if we're to come into grips with the reality of heaven, we have to take time to study it. We have to take time to let it absorb in our hearts. So that's what Jesus talks about in Matthew 9. It says he saw Matthew sitting at a tax office, and he said to him, follow me. And so Matthew arose and followed him. And Jesus sat at the table in the house. Many tax collectors and sinners sat down with him. And the Pharisees, the ones who struggled with it, said to the disciples, why does your teacher eat with sinners? And Jesus says, those who are well have no need of a physician but those who are sick. But go and learn this, I desire mercy. Not sacrifice. Not only am I merciful, but I actually desire it. I actually long to give it, which is very different than just having a merciful disposition. Not only does he have that in him, he wants to impart it to us. I desire mercy, for I did not come to call the righteous, but to call sinners to repentance. And so when Jesus says this, a person has to recognize that you can't just show up to a meeting and get mercy Me giving this message today is a little seed, but you're not going to leave here and all of a sudden be merciful and desire it. And when your wife or your husband or your child betrays you or upsets you or is disobedient, you're not by nature going to want to extend mercy to them. You're going to want to punish them because that's your nature. And so when Jesus says you have to go and learn it, that means we have to sit at the cross. We have to understand who he is. We have to commune with him. We have to dine with him. We have to dialogue with the word, and we have to learn it. And so here we are in this moment. Matthew doesn't deserve it. There's nothing Matthew did to earn that moment. But before we start there, the other thing is... um, Jesus is really actually quoting an Old Testament scripture when he says this. It's, it's Hosea 6, 6, and it's also talked about in Micah. So I think it's important to recognize that because a lot of times it's easier for us to, re, to relate to Jesus than it is to the Father. Because Jesus is a man, because Jesus is the one who took on flesh and died. But what we recognize is the primary focus of Jesus' ministry was to reveal the Father to us. And so it's important to recognize that Jesus is actually quoting Hosea 6.6 here because it connects the Old Testament with the New Testament and the Old Covenant with the New, and we recognize that God never changed. That the Father and Jesus are one, and Jesus looks just like the Father. And so when he's saying, go and learn that I desire mercy, he's quoting an Old Testament survey, which Matthew, the writer, who actually Jesus is referencing, so it's this really powerful dynamic that the author of the verse is actually sharing his testimony and he's telling the Jewish people who he's writing to that he's always been like this. This has always been his nature and this is who he is from the beginning. And that's critical as we understand the mercy and the humility and the gentleness and that we have to go and learn it and that it takes the cross and Jesus and the Father to understand it because what naturally comes to us is that God is a hard man that he's mostly mad at us, that he's mostly ready to accuse us, and that he really wants nothing to do with us because of our sin. But here Jesus is also teaching this at the beginning of the disciples' ministry. It's before the disciples have actually done one work of the kingdom in in the book of Acts. So that's that's a really important dynamic. And the other reason this is critical is because in John 17, Jesus actually lays out his desire for our hearts. And you can be assured that when Jesus prays something to the Father, it's true. So in John 17, he says, Father, I desire that they would love the same way that you love me. Which is really intense. Because when you think about loving and you recognize like, I have no grid for the Father's currency of love. And then when you think about the Father's love and you think about him loving Jesus, it gets even more intense. It's like, wait, the Father loves in a way I have really no idea about. And then he loves Jesus, this perfect communion with the Father. And he's actually going to put that in us before this thing is over. I'm actually going to love in the same way that the Father loves Jesus. So that's what this is unto. So the important thing to recognize here, and I, I thought about how to communicate this in two ways. So any, any math people in the room, any people? So Y is a function of X, right? So you impart X into a function and you get an output. Mercy is the input that leads us into love. If we don't get what it means to be merciful, we're going to really struggle to understand love because the same way in which you understand mercy is the same way in which you love people. So to put it in an artistic way, it's like the chord progression of a symphony. Mercy is the chord progression, but it's unto this beautiful song. And as we learn mercy, it leads us in the path of love because we recognize If the Father is merciful to me, then I'm going to be merciful to others. And it's this union of God and man. It's like I'm going to love people in the same way that the Father loves Jesus. And I'm going to love Jesus in the same way that the Father loves Jesus. That's what we're talking about here. So this one is critical. And that's why Jesus says we got to learn it, we got to take time we got to let it marinate our hearts because by nature, we're angry. We want to fight. We want to get vengeance. We want an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But Jesus says, nope. When he asks you for a cloak, give him everything else and walk the mile with him. And that's what we're going after. We're going, yep. That doesn't feel real good, but that's what Jesus wants. And that's the way that unlocks your heart because then you're unoffendable. It's like, whatever. I understand mercy. I understand the Father. I learned it. And I can walk it out. And then it's this magnet because people are like, I want what he wants. Because he can walk into the fire and not get burned. I want to be like that. I want to walk so confident in who I am, in God's love and mercy, that I can't be touched by the circumstances of life. So that's what Jesus is going after and I'm so grateful for Matthew's calling because it gives me hope. It's like I could have been a wretched tax collector who betrayed my brother and then took up arms and went and stole money from him because that's what tax collectors did. Matthew did nothing to deserve mercy. Not a thing. He took up the the ways of the betraying empire and went and went to his parents and his countrymen's house with arms and stole money from him. That's what he did. And then Jesus went and dined with him. Jesus said, Matthew, follow me. And then he throws a party in his sin. He throws Jesus a party because he didn't even know how to respond to it. And then Jesus goes to the party with him. Like, think of that. It's like, oh, now what do I do? I just got mercy. I'm going to throw the man a party. And I'm going to invite him to a house of sinners with drunkenness. And then Jesus goes to the party with him. Like, that's Jesus. Like, what are we doing? He's so kind. He's so gentle. He's lowly. But we have to go and learn it. And so, again, the degree to which we understand the mercy of Jesus is the degree to which we love him. And that's going to be really important as we unfold this. And we're going to talk about a story that dialogues that pretty clearly. So the one who receives forgiveness more is the one who will love more the one who gets the degree of the nature of God's mercy because you recognize what he did for you, you'll do it for others because you realize it's like this isn't about me and my sin. This isn't about me earning grace. This is about me resting in the promises of the Father and Jesus and then I want to extend it to others. And so when we, it's important we get this because as we enter our quiet times, if we believe God is mostly mad at us, we put on this religious bargaining hat, and we just sit there, and we, we sort of bargain with the Father. And we're like, all right, Father, like, ah, you know, I'm going to put myself in the penalty box, and I'm going to try to earn my way out of it, and I'm going to try to wrestle through my own, like, failures, and be like, okay, you know, just I'll sit here another day, and then, you know, then I'll feel better because I felt like I did my time. But, like, all the while, the Father's like, I forgot about it. Like, it's under the blood. Like, you repented. Like, let's move on from this, because I have a life of godliness with you, and I have a destiny for you. And until you recognize that, we're going to struggle to walk it out. So we have to move past this idea of, like, religious bargaining and begrudgingly hoping for God to forgive us until we fail again. And then we just resume the bargaining all over. Because if we sit in that place, we just we never move out of, like, this pool of guilt, And it's like, if you feel bad, you're going to act bad. The lover always outworks the worker. Every time. Every single time. Because the lover recognizes it's not about me. It's about Jesus. That was so beautiful about David. David was so confident in who God was that he had the affair. He killed Uriah. He did all these treacherous sins. But at the end of the day, he was like, I know my Father. Love always precedes the Father's heart. And that's what David talked about in Matthew 1.10. He's a priest before he's a king. He's a priest before he's a king, meaning he loves before he judges. So as we recognize that, we can move past this begrudgingly bargaining with the Lord and we can walk out our destiny. We can walk out confidence in the Father. We're confident in love. And that's what Hebrews 4.16 says. It says, let us then with confidence draw near the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. It's very different than shamelessly walking into the Father's house and being like, oh, please don't crush me. Please don't just like slay me. Please don't destroy me because of my sin. It's like, nope, I know my Father. I know who He is and I know who I am in Him and I can go with confidence before the, before the throne of grace that we may receive mercy because of his goodness. And it's so good that Hosea says, we'll actually fear it. That's the beauty of God's goodness. Hosea 3.5 says, they shall fear the Lord and his goodness in the latter days. Can you imagine going before the Lord so aware of how kind he is, you're afraid of it? Like, I, I don't understand what that looks like, to be frank with you. But like that's how good, and that's what David understands because when Nathan comes to David, or he says, what punishment would you have? And he says, hand me over to the Lord for he might be merciful. Don't hand me over to man. Hand me over to the Lord because I know him. He'll be kind. He'll be merciful. He understands my heart. He understands my nature. He understands who I am. But that's what the Lord wants to get us to. So, when we talk about walking before the Lord and walking before the mercy, the bet, one of the best examples, and I was talking to the Lord about this, and I asked him, you know, Father, what was it about this story that you highlighted so many times? And it's the story of the woman and the alabaster flask before the Lord in his feet. And the best way I could understand it is she knew the currency of heaven. She knew who Jesus was and she touched a reality of Jesus' heart that is really unfamiliar to many. And that's why Jesus spent so much time talking about it in Scripture. He says, this woman will be remembered forever in the kingdom. And every single author of the Gospels talked about it. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. All four of them. That's not true about all of Jesus' parables. Many of them were in some, not the others. you got the Synoptic Gospels, then you got John and his whole thing. This one was in all four. So Jesus is sitting with the Pharisees and behold a woman in the city who was a sinner when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment and standing behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. And Simon seeing this whole thing unfold and he's just offended. He's so uncomfortable because it offends every single thing about his religious nature. It's like she's a woman, he's a man, she's got her hair down, you can't do that. She interrupted a meal. There was so many social norms that were violated here. There was nothing about it that was socially appropriate. She just offends the entire culture of her Of her nation, I mean, there's nothing in America that we can really like, you know, relate to with this because we're so religious, we're so like independent. But like, my wife's from Africa. If as a stranger in a, you know, leader's house comes in, and you know this, you know, peasant woman came into the, you know, leader of a village in Africa and like interrupted the meal, like, you'd never get a job in that country ever, period. Like, you would have offended so many people in here. Like, Simon is so upset. And Jesus interrupts his thoughts. Like, that's the best part. It's like, now Jesus is sitting here watching, and he's just loving it. He's just seeing this beautiful display of affection. And he says, now, I have something to say to you, Simon. Jesus said, Simon, a certain money lender had two debtors, one owed five hundred denarii and the other fifty. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which one of them will love him more? Simon answered, well, I suppose the one who canceled the larger debt. Well, of course, you have judged rightly. Then turning to the woman, he said, Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wiped my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then to those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So the mercy of God gives us peace. It settles our heart. It settles all that inner dialogue and the traffic of the mind and the confusion when, you hit your, when your bed hits the pillow. Because here's the reality, beloved. We can be in the meeting. We can know the language. We can talk the talk. We can even do the work. But when your bed hits that pillow and you're just there with Jesus and it's just you and him and you're struggling to find that peace, it's like the peace of the lord that you read all about but it's so foreign to your heart that's what it means you got to go learn it you got to spend time with the man you got to get into the grit into the rawness of who he is and just go before him with your tough questions with you know like for me it was the father wound it was like why did that happen why was it so hard growing up And then you recognize, it's like, yeah, but you're a father and I don't have a good relationship with my father. How do I reconcile that? How do I get into your heart? And then the Lord just starts to unfold your person and your nature and he just gets into the grit of who you are. And he's like, go and learn it, Paul. Like, let's spend time together. I'm merciful. I desire it. I want to be with you. And here's the beauty of the Lord's currency. You never pay more for something than it's worth. I'm never going to spend 100000 more on a home than the bank says it's worth. Jesus didn't spend more on your heart than it was worth. He bankrupted heaven for you. He depleted all his resources for you. He said, you're worth it all. You're worth my kingdom. He became a peasant, a poor Jewish man in Galilee who looked unbecoming. He didn't even look good. He probably looked awkward and went through puberty and did everything that man had to do because we're worth it. Like, that's the beauty. And, and this woman, she tapped into it. She tapped into that nature and said, I really don't care what it costs me. I don't care about my reputation. God is in the flesh. He's in the room. He's in my presence. I'm going to do whatever I can to get at his feet and worship him and love him and touch him. And bless him and give him my heart because I want to look like him. I want to walk with him. I want to dine with him. That's what Jesus is talking about. But that doesn't come from sitting and listening to me. I didn't learn this by listening to Paul. I learned it by letting the water of the word wash over me and letting him heal me. Letting him touch my heart and go to those deepest, uncomfortable places where he says, Paul. I know who you are. It doesn't scare me. You don't upset me with your tough questions. You can come to me with your pain and your anger and your guilt and your addictions. And you're worth it. And so that's what we're getting at. And the beauty of it is, is we'll magnify the mercy of the Lord forever. There's some things we won't like talk about forever in kingdom. We're not going to talk about like the Lord overcoming my poverty. Not a big deal. I'm going to walk on a gold street. I'm not going to spend a lot of time about that. I'm not going to spend a lot of time dialoguing with the Lord about, "Ah, yeah, I was poor, but now I became rich. I was ashes, but now I became beauty. Yeah, maybe. But mercy surrounds the throne of the Father. It's one of the most preeminent themes. An emerald rainbow surrounds his throne. And we know that the rainbow is so indicative of his mercy from Genesis. And so when John gets caught up in heaven and he sees the Lord in a new nature, one of the preeminent themes in all of creation and all of the throne is his mercy, an emerald rainbow. Psalm 89 says, I'll sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. There's never going to be a day I don't spend in heaven and I look at where I was and where I am and where we're going. Billions of years, I'm going to sing of his mercy It says in Revelation 15, a sea of glass mingled with fire and those who have victory standing on the sea sing, great are your marvelous works, O King of the saints. We're just going to look at the works of Jesus and being like, how did I get here? What happened? It says the angels long to look on to the nature of us being his inheritance. Did Did you guys know that? You're the inheritance of Jesus. Ephesians talks about it. Psalms talks about it. It says he's going to give us as an inheritance. The Father is giving Jesus an inheritance. What does the king of all creation want to inherit? The saints, his people, voluntary lovers. It says in Psalm 110, we'll be volunteers of love in the day of his power. And that's like a military concept. It's like you volunteer for the army, we're going to be volunteers of love in the day of his power. We're going to voluntarily give our affections to Jesus because he's worthy. Like, that's what he wants. That's where he's going. Revelation 5, it says, Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and riches, blessing and honor and glory. Like, John's caught up in this whole worship ensemble in heaven. He's seeing the rainbow. The nations are spread out on a sea of glass. Billions and billions of people singing one theme. Worthy is the lamb who was slain. They're focusing on the lamb. He's God in the spirit, God in the flesh, and there's this theme of mercy in the lamb slain. Like that's the overarching theme of heaven when we worship when he returns. You're a lamb. You were slain. You received me into your kingdom. I did nothing to deserve it. Not one thing. But here I am worshiping you on a sea of glass, With billions and billions of people. I can't wait for the worship symphony of heaven. The islands, the Asians, the Africans, the Americans, the African Americans. Can you imagine what that's going to look like when the internal expression of all the nations come together as one and worship Jesus in holiness? I can't wait. So the point is, is this is one of those themes that we're never going to get away from We're never going to graduate from, and that's what Jesus wants us to understand. It's like, this is what we need to learn. So how do we respond to mercy? Because that's what we're talking about. It's like, okay, Paul, you just like dropped this mercy bomb on me. Now what do I do? (laughs) So what's that response? So Jesus is our sympathetic high priest who deals tenderly with us and wants us to repent of our sins. So the first thing is, is we just go before the Lord with it. We just spend time with it. We sit at his feet. And it takes time, beloved. Like, it takes time. This isn't a one day. You don't get it overnight. This is why spending that quiet time with the Lord in those little moments where we sung about it today, I don't really feel like you're working. I don't really see it. But I can promise you, the more you spend time at his feet, the more you ask him, and ask him to teach you and you ask the Holy Spirit to come in and do the work and go through those inner healings, it works. I can guarantee you it works. I can guarantee you when you go before him with your pain and your anger and your guilt and your confusion and you ask him to do the work in your heart, it it works. I guarantee you it works. It says in all throughout Scripture, it says, we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy. It says, a bruised reedy will not break, and a smoking flax he will not quench till he sends forth justice to victory. 2 Corinthians 6, we plead for you to not, not to receive the grace of God in vain. Indeed, the gospel was preached to them, but the word which they heard did not profit them because they weren't mixed with faith. So here we have this grace. So that's the other piece, right? We have this great grace from the Lord, but we have to actually believe it. We have to say yes to it. So that's why when we talked about yesterday this scripture, one of the most practical things we can do is pray, read scripture. And I can't emphasize this enough because the word of God is alive. It's active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, and it will cut through your deepest pains. So I can give some really practical ones about you know, when I grew up, it's like I had all this anger, all this pain, all this depression, cheating my way through Bible school, and I'm like, I want it, but I don't know how to get it. It's like this great mystery. I'm like, "Ah, it sounds really romantic, Paul." But I don't get it. And I'm talking about this Paul like Paul's counseling me. I'm like, "Paul, that sounds really great, but like I'm just trying to like not punch my friends in the face cuz they upset me." So you take <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not kidding. Like I'm serious. That's how I was. But you go to the word, you go to the word and you pray it over your heart. In one of my favorite scriptures is Ephesians 1:17, that, that he may grant to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. It's like, Holy Spirit, your word says that you're my inheritance and you're my down payment. It says it right in there. It's like, and I would be this like intense. I'd be like, God, just give it to me. You know, it's like, I just want your wisdom. Just give me wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of who you are. Teach me who you are. Teach me your ways. Like, help me understand your word. I don't get it. It doesn't make sense to me. And then you just sit there and you're like, okay, and then he'd he'd just help you. You know, that may take a week, a month, 10 years, I don't know. But if you spend time, so literally what I did in college was I like wrote on a sheet of paper like 100 scriptures that I resonated with. And I'd be in moments and I'd pull it out and I'd read it and I'd be like, okay, like your word says like, you're gentle and kind and lowly and, like, you don't feel like that. You feel a distant God, but, like, okay, help me. But then it worked. Over years, I was like, oh, it takes root. It starts to take time. So that's one of, like, the most practical things I can share with you. The other thing is this is one of the best truths Paul talked to me about is, like, you don't, act, you don't feel your way into a new way of acting. You act your way into a new way of feeling. So when I touch you don't feel your way into a new way of acting. You act your way into a new way of feeling. Very different. A lot of times I don't feel merciful. I don't feel the like deep emotion of wanting to be kind to somebody. But I I understand if I act, my feelings will come into alignment with my with my actions. And so right now, because we're under the sin, our Flesh governs our body, right? My spirit has to come into alignment with my flesh. Your, flesh is will- your spirit is willing, but your flesh is weak. That's the truth we're talking about. So when we're in a moment of offense, the guy cuts me off in traffic. You know, somebody at the checkout, somebody at the you know, grocery store does something to upset you. Your wife disrespects you. Your husband doesn't do something you asked him to do when you went out to work. I didn't do the dishes. Oops. I didn't say something nice to my wife. My, my child disobeys me. You know, these are the real ones. The grocery store have a big, big deal. The marital one's a lot tougher, right? A lot tougher. When I come home from work and you know you're exhausted and she's been with the baby all day and now you got to somehow kind of flesh it out. It's like she needs a break. I need to watch, you know, Wheel of Fortune because I'm exhausted and just drinks, drink a LaCroix. Like that's all I really want to do. But the baby needs their diaper change. It's like, I really don't feel merciful. But I know if I act that way, my feelings will come into alignment with it. So we really have to walk that out. You just have to sometimes understand that your flesh is weak. But as I do it, and then ask the Lord for help. Ask seriously. to be like, Lord, I really don't feel up for this right now, but I need your grace. Your grace is sufficient. Just help me. Just help me. That four-letter word goes a long way in the kingdom. Help. Sometimes you gotta scream it. Help. I'm just a kid. Help me. Because that's who we are to the Lord. So that's what I want to leave you with. I know it was a dense message. Um, but it's critical. We gotta learn this one. It leads us into love, amen.
1: What do you think? What do you think? He brought it home, didn't he? (laughs) Brought it home. Yeah. Very thankful. Proud of him. Proud of, thankful. Receive from the Lord. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious of you. The Lord look upon you with his favor, grant you his peace.